0: Everyone has expectations that are different because the company hasn't aligned a core set of values within those expectations that everybody can get aligned behind. And that is why you don't have trust because trust is very simple, right? It's about make me a promise and honor it consistently.
1: Welcome to this episode of Conversations. I'm Brian Gorman, a Quantivos coach and your host. And our guest today is Zane Raj. Zane is one of the founders of Shapiro Raj, and he is the author of the just released The Pyramid Puzzle Igniting Transformation with the Power of Trust. Welcome, Zane.
0: Good to be with you, Brian.
1: So, I read The Pyramid Puzzle before it was released, and, and thank you for that. Um, it was one of those books, quite frankly, it's a, it's a work of fiction, and it's also a work of truth. Um, and, and it really was one of those books that, in many ways, was an easy read, a book that I didn't want to put down, and a book that generated a whole lot of reflection on my part. Why did you write a business novel?
0: Here's why. You know, as a successful published author of two prior traditional business books, uh, obviously my orientation was to go towards writing another traditional business book, except that as we live in the world today where content has become king and people, uh, you know, time is at a premium, and the content that engages people is more around things that they can learn without friction, right? Without having to go through a lot of dry for frameworks and formulas. I realized that the concept that I wanna talk about, the concept of trust, is something that you can't put into a formula. You can't, there is a formula for it, but it doesn't make for a 150 page business book that would keep somebody awake that long, right? And so, I. You know, one morning I woke up and I read a lot of history and I kind of, you know, read a lot of historical fiction, if you will, but it's it's not fiction. It's actually a story about that period that brings things to life. And I said, why not a business novel? Why not make business foundational principles actually be approachable in a way? Not only can you understand what it is, but you can also understand how you can apply it in your life immediately. And yeah that that's what happened you know the characters just came to life the story started coming to life the context of how trust which is one of the most powerful concepts that you know is most overused right but the least understood word in life and business and so i i wrote about it and uh, and it uh, it seems to have worked
1: one of the things that really resonated for me is it's a story that begins with a successful business that has lost trust. And not surprisingly, when a business loses trust, it loses trust with its employees, it loses trust with its vendors, and it loses trust with its customers. And, And so often when I hear leaders talk about trust, and and I think more and more they are. Um, they're talking about it as an internal topic, a topic that you know I need to build the trust with my team. I need to build the trust with my department. Um, you know, we need to build trust even in the C-suite. Um, why is this so important with other stakeholders as well?
0: Well, it is, right? Because if you think about the world of business, most businesses are so caught up, especially as they grow bigger in size, that people get caught up in terms of trying to run the business. And so they get in the business of the business, right? And they land up forgetting that the business does not exist without human beings, actual people uh, that play all of the roles around them. Right? So let me, let me tell you a story. Fairly large, Fortune 200 company, right? They were struggling. They were, you know, their business was kind of sliding and they were kind of not sure what to do. They'd hired a number of different consulting firms to try and figure it out. They were, you know, trying to get their pricing strategy right. They're kind of driving, investing in huge innovation and things like that. Now, the company didn't realize that they had a trust issue. Right? Because most companies don't, they they get data from the tracking studies, right? From their other research that tells them what the trust is. But it's one of 17 average attributes that they're tracking. And so they don't know what it is. So we got brought in somewhere along the way when some of the traditional approaches they were taking weren't working. Right? They just were money spent. And I remember sitting with the head of insights and analytics, okay, of that organization. It's just a large organization three 300 people that did a lot of the analytics and the insights. And I said, tell me about your customer, right? And the answer was, well, our customers are between 45 to 65 years of age. The average household income is $60,000. You know, they've got a household of two adults and two and a half children. Right. Uh, you know, going to school and high school, um, you know, they have Two cars, and then they live in this kind of a neighborhood. And I go, okay, so hang on for a second. What's a half a child? Like, I don't know, right? I mean, what kind of a child is a half child, right? And again, what this comes in is, is that orientation towards a lot of data and stuff like that. They had no idea. They had no idea what the customers were. Like, tell me about a human being. Because at the end of the day, there's a human being on the other end. Whose needs you're serving. The products you make that go through channels, there's a person at the other end that needs that product to solve a problem. Who is that? They had no idea. And it was fascinating what we landed up doing is you know, using social sciences, which is one of the things I talk about in the book. It you know, a number of social sciences methodologies to actually go ethnographically and go live. Not only in the shoes of those people, but in their homes to understand how they think, the emotions that they, have, what they do, and what we found for this company was that their core customers actually needed. They work five jobs between the husband and a wife, seven days a week. Okay, and and what they were looking for as a solution for this business, the business provided in in earlier years was, give me some services that save me time, right. And what had happened is businesses have forgotten all of that. And now it took these people more time to get the answers to their problem. Right. And, and was became more expensive and that's why they were struggling. So step one becomes, how do you get people to understand what you stand for? So trust is one. the other thing that happens with companies and why they struggle with trust is because most of them do not understand the definition of trust, right? So, what is the definition of trust? It's at the end of the day, set clear expectations or make a specific promise and then consistently meet and exceed those expectations, right? So, meet the promise, deliver on the promise that you make. What happens with customers is this. Uh, what happens with companies is this. They look at the customer and some say they're customer centric, so they'll find a value proposition for them, okay? But then when they think about the supplier partners, and you used the word vendor, right? A lot of the companies talk about our suppliers are important to us, but they actually treat them more as vendors. So what do suppliers want? Let's start with that. What is the big trigger of a supplier? The supplier wants to be treated as a valued partner because for any business, right, a supplier actually amplifies the ability for the business to deliver the outcomes. Right? If I'm delivering batteries to Tesla for the car, right, that is an important role. And so I want to be treated as a partner. The employees are also critical. And a lot of them focus on the employer, the new this, right? And there isn't trust. Why? What does the employee want? The employee wants to be an asset, right? Not an expense. So what happens? Suppliers want to be partners between vendors. The employees are asked, want to be assets, expect to be assets. They're treated as an expense, right? When you think about the consumer or the customer, the customer wants to be seen as the, the driver of the business, right? the creator of the business, the sustainer of the business, And we treat them as what as objects that that give us money, right? Our investors want to invest in the business and they expect to be treated as owners. And we treat them as people who are going to sell their shares and buy their shares, and we treat them as money or source of money. And what that means is think about it. Everyone has expectations that are different. Because the company hasn't aligned a core set of values within those expectations that everybody can get aligned behind. And that is why you don't have trust, because trust is very simple, right? It's about make me a promise and honor it consistently. Now, you'd say, well, how do all of these big companies survive, right? Because almost all of them tend to do the big things right. Let me tell you a story, okay? Everybody does the big things right. It's the small things that actually build trust. So United Airlines, I live in Chicago, right? Uh, fly a lot. And it's my one of my favorite airlines. And But as COVID had happened, and as COVID's kind of gone away, but the sensitivity that exists, right? They talk about being the fly the friendly skies. You know, they do their big things, right? right? They get the plane to the airport, get to the right gate. They fly me over. They get me there. But here's what happened experience about where I, start, I stopped trusting them to the level they need me to trust them. I board my flight and they are making me stand, right? This is around in the, during the period of COVID, just stand apart and I, I will board you. And they talk about how they've sanitized the plane, that's why it's a little late because they have to clean it appropriately, yada yada. I walk in, they gave me a sanitary wipe in case I want to extra uh, sanitize it. I turn around, I'm in 3E uh, in the seat, I turn around, the first thing I see is a toothpick lying by 1B right right as I enter the plane and then I walk to my 3E and the one thing I see right behind 2E is a facial tissue crumpled and lying on the floor and I go you're talking about a clean safe friendly airline right in the skies and I first walk in and I see Garbage, which is somebody's put something in their mouth and somebody's used some tissue for something personal. And now I it stopped being friendly for me at that moment. Right? It became unsafe. And when, when you feel unsafe, you're not feeling in any positive emotional mood. And so I spent the entire flight with my face mask on, not even accepting a cup of coffee because I'm like, I do not want to get sick again. Right? That is, it's it's that's that's why companies struggle with it because think about trust as do you believe me? Well, people don't believe you because how many times do companies change policies and stuff like that, right? And so that is the critical issue that happens. We talk about building trust in teams, but do your teams really understand your expectations, right? we you trust with suppliers? Do they really understand and accept your your expectation or are you just
1: ships moving in the night? There's so much to unpack here uh one of the first things as you were talking about employees one of the first things that came to mind for me is how often frontline employees feel not only devalued but disrespected by their employers um and and oh by the way anyone who listens to this podcast very often knows I try to stay or steer away from the term employee because again that's a dehumanizing term each of those employees is a person who as you reflect in your story is a lot more than just the skills that they bring to the job and again you you very masterfully tell the story it's those people on the front line who are the connection to your customers. Real quick story, years ago, I I was an internal consultant at uh, the University of Minnesota. And I reported directly to the Vice President for Finance and Operations, uh, who happened to be one of the founders and retired as CEO of Toro. He understood customer. Uh, When David, uh, his name was David Lilly, he's passed on now, but uh, his first year in that role, he hired freshmen and transfer students to log their experience, um, to understand what the customer experience was. One day he came walking into my office, and he said, I just walked past the bursar's office. There's 150 of our customers standing in line. Call her up, find out what happened, how she's gonna fix it, and how she's gonna prevent it from happening again. I knew exactly what he was saying because I understood uh, David's lens. I called the bursar and I repeated what he said about 150 customers standing in line and there was dead silence. She said, he doesn't mean the students, does he? Yeah, there are customers. And again, if you're not treating me with respect, whether I'm a customer, whether I'm a frontline employee, whether I'm a senior executive, if you're not treating me with respect, I'm not going to trust you.
0: Yeah, because respect, trust, and loyalty are the three pillars that build deep relationships. But I think what I love about this, this story and the question where you got to about frontline, right? Let me tell you another, my personal experience on frontline, it's a company called Peloton. 2020, because of COVID, stopped being able to go to the gym. So so my wife said, let's go get a Peloton, right? Peloton was a hot rage. So we bought a $3,000 Peloton with the subscription for all, you know, our kids and us and things like that, right? Great. It was good. You know, kind of get us going, yada, yada. But six months ago, they sent out a note that said, we're recalling brace for the seats because they're breaking and creating accidents which then got me to go and take a look at ours. And I realized, man, there is a crack, right? I'm glad to send me a note saying, we got a problem. Great. So I fill out the form to say, please send me one, because I suddenly am not not going to sit on this because when, when you're writing it falls, people were getting really hurt, right? In the wrong spots. Okay. So that a month goes, two months goes, no feedback, no nothing. I write an email to the email address. I send a customer service, nothing. I finally get on the phone. And I finally get a person, looks like on the call center, OK? And I, I explain to them. They go, yes, Mr. Raj, we got it. Yes, Mr. Raj, you got the notes. And I said, I never received any reaction. I go, well, I don't know. how I can help you with that because I'm not part of that group. But so I said, how long will it take for me to get this because I'm not using it, right? Um, and I can't use it and it's sitting out there and goes well it could be anywhere between another 90 to 120 days we don't know right all we know when we ask is we are in short supply said okay I mean that kind of crazy right so I said okay I've been paying like a lot of money per month $65 a month for a subscription can I now find a way to at least put that on hold or get some sort of a refund for this period right Now, 65 bucks i'm not going to change my life but it's a principle right i'm like i can't use this thing and so why should i be paying for a subscription and he goes i can't help you with that right i have to go talk to a supervisor comes back from the supervisor and says well you know we'll let you know but we can get back to you in a couple of days that was 12 days ago and i've sent two more emails i haven't heard anything back and i don't have the patience to sit for 90 minutes on a phone call to try and save myself $65 because my hourly rate is significantly higher than that. But, but what happened when I talked to the supervisor, I said, listen, I mean, it's really, how does take 90-minute wait and now 37 minutes into the conversation? You guys can't help me. And he said, sir, I don't know what to tell you. We're not getting any answers from the company. So think about this. It's not just the, the, the front line wants to do the best they can for the customer because they're right up on the front lines and they can empathize. How many times they're sitting at the airport, flights are getting delayed, right? They have to deal with us and they empathize because they know what people are going through. But they're not getting support from the company because the company hasn't set a clarity around their role. Hasn't Companies rarely ever empower the people to do what's right because the companies haven't set an expectation that says, this is why we exist and your role in this is that because employees want to be asked i mean i want to be proud of the company i work for right i want to go out and do make sure that they can sing my company's. but that's what's happening so the it, it's fascinating because to the point you made, we think of them as employees as things we don't even talk, call them associates what you want to call them associates or team members we don't really treat them as that and it's because we lost the fact that there is a humanity component in business. Very few business plans have a humanity component that goes. I was just—I was actually doing a little bit of a workshop at another company this morning, and you know, and they are like—they're transforming. Everything's going. Uh, and I was looking at their brand platforms, and you know, and the product and the maps of where they're going. And I said, "All of this is great. You got a lot of stuff going on about the product. You got a lot of strategies about pricing. You got a lot of." Tra- where is the stuff about the human beings you serve? And they look at me like, huh? but that's when you think about, right? When you think about traditional consulting and traditional business, it's built around a lot of analytics. It's built about the business and the business operations. And that's why I think, I mean, I, I think all of the big consultants are really talented, really smart, really good. The problem is most of them don't hire people who have insight and empathy, right? They hire people who know how to do run excel right and how to run a lot of models that can create and i think that's the missing piece and that's why i wrote this book after having done this i mean you know i'm i'm, I'm known as a business accelerator right you know i've created a hundred billion dollars of wealth just in the last decade for companies based on the work we've done on transformation stuff but you go and and it's what fascinating uh you know when we go in we go this is what you need to think about. And I remember this conversation with one client who came to us a couple of years ago. uh, And he called and said, hey, I've been told you guys are fantastic, need you guys to come and help me. I've got very talented people on my team, they're all at McKinsey, Bain, you know, BCG consultants, but we're really busy doing acquisitions, trying to grow the business. And so we need somebody else to come in. And I said, even if your people had the time, you'll never get to the answers. And he goes, what do you mean? I said. Because at the end of the day, your problem is not all of the acquisitions you're doing, the operational stuff you're fixing. Your problem is you guys are not even walking into your customer's shoes. You don't even know who your core customer is. And walking into shoes is the old-fashioned idea. You need to understand what's going on in their hearts. You need to understand what's going on in their heads, to what, what's going on in the gut. You need to understand what's going on in their families. You need to get that. But first, got to find out who is that one person. And it's fascinating how it it feels like man, it's like the biggest idea in the world. And I go, I don't know what, and it's been fascinating. This book, the reactions I'm getting is that I'm like, never realized. Oh my god, and I'm glad you read it, Brian. Right, because I and you'll appreciate. One of the top people at one of the largest banks runs all of that information technology. Read this book, came to me for an autograph, and you know, read it in the early stage of pre-launch. He circled pages and I sent these insights and ideas to my teams to talk about how we can work with our stakeholders better, because we've had a huge stress with our stakeholders, their demands, and our ability to deliver on the demands. And there's so much friction and suddenly you realize that we are not even talking about each other's expectations, We're assuming what what each other is. So it has been fascinating kind of, you know, just kind of seeing the reaction to this.
1: I One of the many things I appreciated about the book is my undergraduate degree is in cultural anthropology. And one of the things that I learned many years ago now was both the reality of the culture, but also the importance of the individual. And I spent decades in organizational change management it makes the same mistake you're talking about organizations don't change people change organizational change management is individual change at scale and if you're not paying attention to the people if you're um looking at you know these stakeholder groups and and those stakeholder groups and um the organization chart, the organization doesn't work through an organization chart. Um, we need to reconnect with people. For me, that that is the key to success or, or failure uh, in our businesses and, and more broadly.
0: So well said, so well said.
1: Zane, we're going to have to wrap up in, in just a few minutes here. But any other key messages that you think are important to call out? I, I think I think
0: I'd just say I, I'd just say two things, which just you know come up a, a few times. One is it's really really hard to earn trust; it's really easy to break it. So start small, right? You know, start with a simple thing. of what are the kind of come smaller things and smaller commitments that we want to do well. One One of the simplest things that we help one other company do, right? Even though we're not in the business of coaching and mentoring, but to try and get their operating team to perform is basically said, can you just, you guys should just start all coming to a meeting on time, right? Because they all, right? Depending on how senior you were, the junior was people were there early, but depending on senior, it was like three minutes, five minutes, seven minutes, seven. it was like it was literally like the organizational ethos was that, right? And 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 my entire comment was very simple, right? Because trust is earned by doing what you say you're gonna do, right? By honoring commitments. And so start with the small thing, like step one, show up on the meeting, show up to the meeting on time. End the meeting on time. Right? Just start doing small things and what you'll realize is all of a sudden you guys are becoming much more effective. (laughs) So again, small steps, right? Here as Confucius said, you know, just take the first step and the small step and uh, you know, but be consistent.
1: Sain Raj, author of The Pyramid Puzzle, Igniting Transformation with the Power of Trust. Thank you for this conversation.
0: Thank you for having me, Brian. It was fun. Learned a lot from you.